Good morning. It is such a pleasure to be here with you as we conclude our series, Heartbeat of the Hill. As we've walked through this series, we've looked at our mission, what we believe God's vision is for our church, and our values. Our mission, why we exist as a church, is for God to awaken people from death to life in Christ. And then what we believe God is leading us, a vision of our future, is to develop spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders. And then we have our six values, our convictions, those things we believe God is helping and leading us to become. We looked at, number one, Christ is the catalyst. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal consequence. Secondly, we looked at the value of time in the Word. When we spend time in the Word, God reveals His character to us and the way we should live for those who belong to Him. Then we looked at standing in the gap. Christ stood in the gap for us. Therefore, we bring the gospel to the alienated and the marginalized in our world. Then fourthly, we looked at being together in the faith, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then last week we looked at the value investing in the next. It is God's plan. It has always been his plan. His will is that we invest what was invested in us into others. It's the preservation of the church. And then today we conclude with the value labor in the harvest. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And just as an aside, uh, I noticed that many of you, when I've been going through that value list, have been checking me on the banners to make sure that I've not forgotten any. And I do appreciate that. As we look at this idea of labor in the harvest, uh, let me read Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, and it says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I think of this idea of laboring in the harvest, um, to be honest, I, I've mentioned before, I am a city person. Uh, I have never harvested wheat, grain, not even like a garden tomato. So I don't know much about agricultural harvesting, but I do know what it means to labor, to work. And I know what it's like to labor or to work with someone who is not eager to labor or work. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a job working for 
the seminary in their warehouse. They had sort of a physical plant where they took care of all the electrical, plumbing, uh, refrigeration needs, etc. I worked in the parts department, and then we also delivered mail on campus. And if professors moved desks, we would end up there. And so I ended up from the physical plant onto the main campus. And there were times where uh, two of us would be sent from the warehouse onto campus for some particular task. And I always dreaded when I got paired up with one particular guy. Now, this guy uh, was uh, a student from South Korea. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, our seminaries are full of students from South Korea. There's a great movement of God happening in South Korea to the point that they are sending missionaries to the United States. You don't think of the United States receiving missionaries, but yes, we do. What these South Korean students recognized, though, was that we Texans or Southern guys and gals had a hard time pronouncing their native pronunciation of their name, and so they would often choose a much easier English name for us to use. Uh, for instance, there was one uh, gentleman that I met, I was in class with, and he told me his name was Philip, which uh, I thought was great. He said, at seminary, I am Philip, after the evangelist. But when I'm just in Fort Worth socially, I am Chris. And I thought, well, that's not confusing at all. <laughs> but the gentleman that I dreaded working with had chosen the name MacGyver. And so when we would end up on campus working, I felt horrible because I thought people might think I was making fun of him when I would be saying things like, come on, MacGyver, we got to get moving, MacGyver, and that's just his name. But the problem is, is that MacGyver was lazy. And when we needed to move a desk, he was nowhere to be found, or when we needed to uh, clean up, uh, you know, recycling from a particular area, and he was supposed to be with us. He's sitting over in the corner. We might take six loads, and MacGyver's still collecting the first load. It is annoying when we are seeking to labor, and there are those just sitting on the sidelines. Now. Take that to a spiritual principle of this value, laboring in the harvest. And as we unpack this passage, I want you to think about whether you might be a MacGyver. Here are three things. If we are to truly labor in the harvest, if that's more than just a thing printed on a sign, but a true value of Harmony Hill... There are three things I want us to think about from this passage. Number one, we need to change our mindset from being simply receivers to being kingdom workers. We have to have a mindset of not just being a receiver, but of being a kingdom worker. Here in our passage in verse 35, that verse uh, is really a summary verse of Jesus' mission. It is a transition verse to another major section of Matthew's gospel. Again, it says, as they were, uh, excuse me, as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching 
in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is a summary of everything that has come before and it is a descriptor of the type of ministry that Jesus did, but it is a transition to a new section. So previously from about chapters 5 to 7, Matthew is extolling the powerful words of Jesus. You have the Sermon on the Mount, his powerful teaching. And then in Matthew chapter 8 and then up to this point in chapter 9, Matthew is sharing the powerful works or miracles of Jesus. Essentially saying he can back up what he talks about. He can heal the lame. He can make the deaf hear. He can make the mute to speak. He can even raise from the dead. And now from chapters 9 forward for several more chapters, the transition is this. He has been pouring into these disciples through his teaching and through his powerful works, and now he is about to send them. In fact, chapter 10, verse 1, if you were to look there, you would see that Jesus gathers them and gives them instructions to send them out two by two. They are moving from being simply receivers of his teaching and the receivers of watching him do the works that he has done to now being commissioned to go and do likewise. He says, you will now go and teach. You will go city to city and you will heal And he gets them together, gives them instructions, and they are sent. So in the same way that this first verse is a transition from receiving to sending, our mindset, if we are to be those who labor in the harvest, there comes a point where we say, I have received what I need, and now I will go. Now I will be in the game. Now I will labor in the harvest. When I was a teenager, uh, I had accepted the Lord uh, when I was in ninth grade. And I'd gone to my pastor and asked him sort of a question of, hey, I've I've accepted Jesus now. I've, I've been baptized. What do I do now? I've been around church, and I know a lot of the stories I've been invested in, but now what do I do? And I don't know that he knew exactly how to respond to a teenager in that way, but he gave me a book. Many of you have maybe done this study before. I think it's meant to do, in fact, I know it's meant to do in a group, but he handed me a study by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Just out of curiosity, anybody done, have done that study? It's been around for quite some time. It's a great study. And so I just began to daily go through that study. And one of the things that really jumps out when you've done that study is Henry Blackaby says, and this may not be exactly, but this is pretty close. You see where God is moving and you join him. One of the things that you do to experience God after salvation, not just receiving but to go, is you see where God is moving and then join him. That was a revolutionary moment for me when that really went from here to here. 
I began to say, okay, God, where are you moving in my school? Where might you be moving where I work? Where are you moving in my youth group? Again, I was a teenager. And I remember it was not long after that, our church was doing a, a presentation, um, sort of uh, a, a drama and music presentation. And they needed people to be counselors, to be counselors at the end of the program if people came forward with questions. And so I signed up. And I was one of the only teenagers who had ever, you know, that was signed up. But at the end of the presentation, there was probably, I mean, it was just a, a number of people were coming forward with questions about faith. And I remember I was just sort of in a line. And to be honest, as somebody came in, then you would get matched up and you would go talk with them. And my heart was beating out of my chest. I thought, I, I really hope that they run out of people before they get to me, you know, type thing. But I remember walking up and probably the baddest looking dude that had come to our church walked in the door. I don't even know how he got there at the time. He was, uh, and this is no offense because I know we have some bikers, but he was a, a motorcycle riding, you know, leather vest wearing, just looking rough type of dude. And I'm in, you know, 10th grade going, oh, Kind of was hoping there'd be another teenager I could talk to. But we went back, and the Lord had used that presentation to prick his heart. His name is Steve. And he accepted Christ that night. And it was the first time that I'd really ever led someone to the Lord. And my parents would tell you that Steve went on to become a deacon and still is a deacon at that church. Can I just tell you that the thrill of obedience fuels you to labor in the harvest. And if we are really going to be a church that labors in the harvest, can I just be honest? They talk about preachers sometimes stepping on toes. I hope you didn't wear your flip-flops today. There are some maybe in this room that you've been receiving for a long, long time. And God is saying, will you labor in the harvest? Will you begin to see where I'm moving and join me? The second thing that we'll look at this morning is this. Not only changing our mindset, but two, we need to see people the way Jesus saw the crowd. Look at verse 36. It says, when he, meaning Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is a summary verse Jesus is going city to city. He's teaching. He's healing. And at some point, this is an unspecified time, Jesus going city to city looks out on the crowd and is moved to compassion. This word for compassion is very similar to what we might talk about as being gut level, like a gut level emotion. 
He is moved because he's looking at the people. But I want you to notice something. He is moved to compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. It is clearly stated that Jesus has been going around teaching and healing afflictions. I'm not saying Jesus is not moved by our physical ailments, but what moved him in this moment was not he looked at the crowds and there was so much disease. He looked at the crowd and said they are spiritually broken and they don't have a shepherd. The truth in your outline, his heart went out to them because they were broken spiritually. Oh, that we could have the eyes of Jesus when we see the crowds in our own town. Oh, that we would have the eyes of Jesus. I think about um, the first time I ever became aware or really even thought about somebody being colorblind and what, how that they see the world differently because of color blindness. It was when I was also in high school, I was working at a pet supply store. And every night, you know, you've got to get all the shelves fronted and ready for the next day. And the worst job every night that you did not want to get assigned was the cat food can aisle of Fancy Feast. <laughs> there are so many flavors to fancy feast. And when people shop for fancy feast, they just love mixing up all the flavors. And you would have to go through and reorganize and pull to the front. And they were all sort of differentiated by a colored band, a different color around the can. And I remember this one kid, and I still to this day don't know if he was lying or not, said, I really can't do the fancy feast aisle because I'm colorblind. It just takes me so much longer. And I remember thinking, but can you read? <laughs> because that also is a way to sort things. But it's the first time that I've ever really thought about how he might be seeing the world differently. And in many ways, we are colorblind or we have a vision issue, if you will, when we can't see the way that Jesus sees other people. He sees differently. When he walks through Lufkin, Texas, when his eyes look over Lufkin, Texas and the people, he is moved to compassion because there are those who are spiritually harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we may look at those in our town and say they are sinners. They are um, without knowledge of how they should act. There is violence. There is uh, inappropriate relationships. There, there's just so much sin. And what Jesus would say is lost people act like lost people. And I'm not going to get so hung up on what they are doing. I am broken and gut level moved by the fact that they are people like sheep without a shepherd. 
It is so easy for us to look at the actions of people and make them an enemy instead of looking at their actions and going, oh, they are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. They need Christ. Their greatest need is Christ. And when we begin to see our town, see our world, see those that we work with, that we go to school with, that we are in families with, with that level of compassion and with that set of glasses on. I think about, you know, the colorblind example that I know this is not true for every type of colorblindness, but they've developed those glasses, particularly for those with like a red-green um, colorblindness that they can put on these glasses and all of a sudden a whole different world of color spectrum is open to them. We need to pray that God would put on Jesus' glasses on his church that we would begin to be moved by compassion and see the crowd the way Jesus did. It reminds this question in your outline where do you see sheep with no shepherd? And I mean that seriously as a personal question. Where do you see sheep without a shepherd? Going back to Henry Blackaby, where is God moving and how can you join him? It brings me to the third point. So Jesus is traveling and as he looks at the crowds, he is moved with compassion because they are sheep without a shepherd and I am astounded because we'll look here in just a second at his first reaction. But the point here in your outline is this. We need to pray for more workers. We need to pray for more workers. Look here in verse 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I find this fascinating. I mean, just walking it through again, Jesus going town to town as he looks at the crowds, he is gut level moved to compassion because they are harassed and helpless. Even those two words indicate like a sheep that is vulnerable to attack. They have been ravaged by predators, they have been struck by thorns, and they have no shepherd to apply a balm or wound healing ointment. But what he does is he looks up after seeing, after being moved, and then you can almost see him look at his disciples and say, the harvest is plentiful as they look out at this crowd. But the first thing he says that they should do is pray. My first reaction, many of your first reaction is, there's so many people we need to send. But Jesus says the first step is to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up more workers. Maybe that's what We've been missing, not just at Harmony Hill necessarily, but as an as a American church, is that we've been calling people to go, but we've not been praying that God would raise them up. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers 
are few. Now at this point, as Jesus is saying that, it's never been more true because at this moment it has been uniquely Jesus going around to these cities and synagogues teaching. And I almost have this feeling that Jesus, looking and has compassion, he knows two things. Number one, his time is short because he came for a very specific purpose and mission. And secondly, he alone, because he had emptied himself to take on the form of a human being, can only be in one place at one time. And so he goes, there are too many for just me. And so that's his first reaction is to look and say, disciples, there are too few workers. And I'm only looking at a few of you. Pray that God will raise up more workers to go into his harvest. Understand this. It's his kingdom. It's his harvest. It is a win if you lead someone to Christ at your office and they go to another church here in town because it's his harvest. It's his kingdom. It is a win when we send one of our sent ones to another country and they lead someone to Jesus Christ and they go from death to life in Christ and they may never walk in the doors at Harmony Hill and that's a win because it's his harvest, his kingdom. Here's a very simple thing. I want every one of us, when we say labor in the harvest, do not seek to try to win people for Harmony Hill. Win them to Christ. One of my favorite things that happens is when someone in our church, a layperson, if you will, leads someone else to Christ, and then when they bring them to the church, it's simply a celebration, not a, hey, I've got them, I've had some conversations, I don't know what to do, can you close the deal? Like we're the manager at a car lot going, all right, how can we put you in a faith today? Now, we're happy to do that if that's where you feel like you're at. But at the end of the day, what brings me joy is when you've been laboring in the harvest and the fruit comes in and you got to be the one to do it. And then you're just bringing the celebration report. Why do I say that? Because it is impossible for me or even our pastoral staff alone, to do all the necessary work in the harvest, even right here in Lufkin and Angelina County. We are responsible to do our share of the laboring, but so are you. So are you. We should pray. In the truth here, pray first, send next. So at the end of these verses, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus says, pray. But then immediately in chapter 10, he sends. He says, 
turns to his disciples, pray, and then in 10.1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. Then it names them. And then in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, and then he gave instruction. We pray, and then we send. One of the things that I am thrilled about is that as Southern Baptists, we are part of a missionary network. This, uh, I saw one of my pastor friends had posted an update from the IMB, the International Mission Board. And so I don't know uh, if this was a day ago or a month ago, but it was very recent information. The IMB said this, that they recently fully, through the network of churches, including Harmony Hill, fully funded 72 missionaries to now go onto the field this year. That's amazing. They said that they were able in this last year through Southern Baptist Church's cooperative giving, were able to meet the needs of 3,500 missionaries. They also said this, as we pray for more workers, that they currently have 1,285 applications to go into the harvest. That is four times as many as they had five years ago, the report said. See where God is moving and join him. But then the IMB reminds us of a very sobering reality. There are over 8 billion people on the planet. Approximately, according to their report, 173,000 die apart from Christ Every day. Jesus was moved to compassion. And he said, pray that there would be more workers to go into a ripe harvest. Meaning there are those who are waiting for laborers to go because they are ripe for the harvest. And so the question here. And Stacy, if you want to go ahead and come on up, will you pray? Will you labor in the harvest? Today is October 1, and if you're new to Harmony Hill, the month of October is Missions Month. Uh, we, it's not the only month that we do missions, but it is a month that we bring it as a primary Emphasis, And so today is sort of a pivot Sunday of wrapping up the Heartbeat of the Hill series and then moving into a focus on missions during the course of this month. And I want us to be mindful that Jesus says we should pray for workers. We should pray that God would activate those who have been receivers in our church into kingdom workers. But we also need to pray that out of our fellowship, God would begin to raise up those workers who have a burden and a calling to go and leave Lufkin and leave Harmony Hill to go do ministry elsewhere, whether that be on a foreign field or through a national uh, church plant or something of that nature it's a scary thing to pray that God would do that. 
But at the end of the day, I am praying that God will send out some of our very best to labor in the harvest. Because it's not Harmony Hill's harvest. It's His harvest. And so as we get ready to conclude this morning, it's very simple. That last question, will you pray? As, as Stacy and his team lead us in a response song. I just want us to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And as we get ready to go into Missions Month, God, would you raise up laborers, both here in our town, remembering our vision, developing spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders, and remembering our mission statement. We exist so that God would awaken people from death to life in Christ. And he has chosen that we would labor in the harvest. We would see where he's working and join him. And so if you would, I'm going to pray. But during this time of response, I'd actually ask that no one sing the first verse or the first chorus, but that you just pray. And whether you want to do that at your seat or if you feel compelled to come down, that's, that's totally up to you. There's no wrong or right way to do that. But then after you pray, then we'll return our praise to the Lord of the harvest. Father, thank you. We, we have faith because someone labored in the harvest. We are the recipients of those who came and proclaimed good news when we were ripe in the harvest. Father, we thank you for the ability we have in America to receive so much truth from so much good teaching, whether that be in a local church or a Bible study or a podcast or preachers we listen to. But God, help us not to be only receivers. But may we be a church that labors in the harvest. Father, that we would see, our mindset would switch to we don't just go to work for an income. That's where you have us laboring in the harvest. We don't just live in a neighborhood because that was the dream house, but because that's where we labor in the harvest. Father, I pray that you would raise up, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you raise up those who are ready and willing to labor in the harvest. We are praying according to your will. You told the disciples, pray for laborers. God, would you activate laborers that will minister here in Angelina County? And God, would you raise up laborers who are willing to go and serve wherever you would call them? Father, we pray that this value would not be just something printed on a banner, but it would be felt. It would be a conviction of every member of our church. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.